Well, good morning. Wow, it was an incredible worship. Um, I love it, how God works and is in the midst of working. Um, I had that song on my heart a couple of weeks ago and was just thinking through it and listening through it. And I said, man, I would love for that song to be sang in our church before a worship message or before a, a message. And um, about a week later, I had gotten a text from Linnea. And she just sent me a, a YouTube link and said, how about we play this song and I can do it as a special one day before your sermon, and I just saw a YouTube link. I had no idea what it was. I said, thank you, God. I know what it is. And uh, I went to it, and it was the same song I had been listening to and praying for. Um, I just love it, how God works. I have the privilege this morning to um, go through Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. So if you go ahead and grab them, take them out. And I also love how last week's core class taught by Damon Dumblaley on living as a church, actually went over a couple of these verses, and they had some incredible points that I'm actually going to pull a little bit from this morning. And so we're going to be discussing this morning discontentment and unity, discontentment and unity within the church. And this is a huge, huge topic. And I didn't even realize how big these verses were until I began to study them. And all this week, I've had opportunities to apply this. And for those of you who've been around me this week, I'm like, I'm preaching on this. I have to make sure I don't do this. I can't do this. So God's really been working this in me. To begin, I'd like to read a quote that was actually taught in Damon Dumlele's class last week. And it's by a gentleman by the name of Don Whitney. And he writes this, No one can hurt a believer as deeply as a group of Christians because of the nature of fellowship that exists in the church. Have you found that to be true? That nobody can hurt you 
like those who are closest in you, especially those who are in the body of Christ. That there's no greater damage. There's just something that happens when somebody who is a professing believer of Jesus Christ, a brother or sister of yours that you're close to, does something that hurts you. Maybe you've experienced that in a church before. Maybe you've experienced it in this church. Maybe you've experienced a pain where somebody who was a brother or sister in Christ hurts you in a way that's hard to forgive them. Maybe you've gone to a church and you've wanted to be an insider, but you felt like an outsider. No matter what you did, you couldn't become part of that family. This is discontentment and disunity in the body of Christ. And I want to tell you when these things happen, not if, but when these things happen, it is extremely important that we follow biblical principles because they are going to happen. It's not a matter of if they happen. It's when they happen And it's critically important that we, as followers of Christ, make sure that we honor God. So in our series in Philippians, we're going to be looking at how unity within the church begins to break down. And also, when it breaks down, what that does for us as believers, but what it also does for the unbelievers in our community. Because it affects us, but it also affects those in the community. So I'm going to open in prayer, and then we're going to begin in verse 14. Let's pray. God, we do come to you this morning. God, we give it all to you. God, we want you to speak to us. God, I pray that you may comfort those who are in situations where they need comfort. God, I pray for those of us who are comfortable in our situations and in our Christianity that you may make us uncomfortable. That's the purpose of the church. Is when we become complacent, that you shake us up and point us back to what's most important. And God, when we are going through a rough time, that it's an encouragement to you. God, may we glorify you this morning. May you speak through me. There is nothing good in me that warrants that or deserves that. But for your glory, may you use me in the preaching of your word, which we know is foolishness. But God, we thank you that you've chose the foolish things in this world to confront those who call themselves wise. So God, we thank you that that you do work, that you do speak to hearts. We praise you this morning, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I want to give a recap in Philippians of where we've come so far. We've seen praise and prayers because of the partnership in the gospel, beginning in Philippians 1. It was to the elders of the church, also to the deacons and to the church body. So this letter was given that way. It was encouraging the church to grow in love, knowledge, and purity. Paul goes on to write to encourage how his suffering has actually spread the gospel and to encourage Christians that are going through suffering, how this looks. In verse 27, in chapter 1, he calls the church's manner of life to be worthy of what? The gospel. Worthy of the gospel, to walk in such a way Paul commands the church to do nothing from selfish ambition, but with humility to count other people more important than yourselves. And this brings us to our text this morning in verse 14, if you'll follow along with me. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud 
that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Verse 14 begins with a clear command to all of us as Christians. A command to stop complaining. It's going to be a very encouraging and exciting message this morning. A clear command to stop complaining. And I want to ask you, why did Paul tell the church this? Because they needed to hear it. It wasn't to a group of non-Christians that he said, you guys need to stop complaining. No, he said it to the body of Christ that he was a pastor over. He said, do all things without grumbling or disputing because they needed to hear it. And I didn't think I needed to hear it that much until I started studying and really applying it in all areas of my life. And this week, I'm like, man, so many times I had the opportunity to grumble and complain. And so I'm telling you this this morning that we all have an opportunity to do all things without grumbling and disputing and complaining because we need to hear these things. So I want to look at grumbling. We're going to take a look at what is grumbling. I love the definition of grumbling, to murmur or mutter in discontent, complain sullenly, kind of like pouting. And then this is maybe a guy's distinction of grumbling, to utter low, indistinct growls sounds. We've all done this before. Something happens, you're grumbling, you're mumbling. Maybe it's not even verbal. Maybe it's just in your attitude of how you carry yourself. Maybe it is words sometimes, but there's things going on grumbling about a situation. Grumblings are soft, sometimes internal, but I want you to hear something. Grumblings are deadly. Grumblings are deadly. And we're going to get to why, the heart of why. Why is it that we grumble? Why is it when something happens or doesn't go your way, why is it we grumble? Well, we grumble because we are discontent in our current circumstances. That's why we grumble. We think things should be different, right? Things should be different. But it's not about things being different. It's actually about things being different in a manner that's what I want them to be. So it's not that it's option A they're going with. It's actually because it's not option A. I'm fine with anything but option A. I'm not really fine with anything but option A. I'm fine with anything but option A, B, C, D, except when you get to my option. Then we begin to grumble. When we grumble, we place ourselves as God because it should be done our way. And when it is not, I grumble, right? And I want you to see what grumbling leads to. And it's listed in verse 14. Grumbling leads to disputing. And if you've had children or you are alive, right, you've seen this happen in your life. Children do it in a different manner. We're going to get to that in a second. Grumbling leads to openly disputing how I think things should be. So we begin to grumble. And after a while, we're tired of grumbling. It leads to openly disputing about things. We've seen this in the checkout line at a store where they have destined parents and children to go into a conflict of authority over toys, gum, shiny objects, right? You're going through the checkout line and they have them all down there at the children's and you see it happen to where there's grumbling when the parent says, no, I've already given you this or you just got this or no, we don't have the money. There's grumbling. And then what happens sometimes? Grumbling leads to but mom, and then there's open disputing in the store. 
Sometimes it goes immediately from grumbling to open disputing. Us as adults, we just do it more sophisticatedly, right? We don't break down on the floor and cry and complain. A lot of times we murmur or we grumble, and then when things haven't gone our way for long enough, we begin openly disputing. But it may not even be to that person's face. It, it might be going around somewhere else. And I want you to really think all throughout this week when you have an opportunity to grumble, when you have an opportunity to complain, what is the heart of why you're doing that? Here's what Scripture says about these things. Galatians 5, 19. If you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians 5, 19. While you're turning there, a uh, quick announcement Luke Mockler was leading you in worship this morning, and so if the church would give him a big round of applause for leading, he came down and stepped into that role, did a phenomenal, phenomenal job, and he'll be here next week leading as well. And, uh, and a quick side note, the church over the weekend did get struck by lightning. Um, they were in here practicing on Thursday evening, and it was struck, and... Um, you know, there's only a little bit of damage done. So just wanted to let everybody know if they came by and saw fire trucks and everything else, everything is completely under control. God save the day. So, all right, Galatians 5, 19, verses 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh, okay, this is not supposed to be the person who is in Christ. This is the people who are not in Christ. Listen to what it says. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Did you see what was in that list? And it was in the list of some of the things we're talking about, dissensions, disputing, and divisions. The Bible so closely says those things are like impurity, sexual immorality, idolatry, sorcery, fits of anger, drunkenness, orgies. All of those things, the Bible says dissension and disunity is among them. It's not something that, oh, well, you know, that's not that bad. These other ones are really bad. Don't go in. No, it says all of those are listed as works of the flesh. And those who continue to do those things, the Bible says, should be in danger of their souls because they're not walking in the spirit, they're walking in flesh. Now, before we continue, I want everyone to understand something. We can be in disagreement as Christians with something, okay? We can be in disagreement with something and still be obedient to Philippians 2. The Bible very clearly outlines that there is a clear place for biblical correction in all areas of life, whether it be the church your home, your family, your workplace. There's a correct way to do things. What we're looking at in Philippians is the incorrect way to do things. Going about grumbling, complaining, being discontent in your circumstances. The Bible very clearly says when you have an issue with a brother, how to handle it. When there's an issue with authority, how to handle it. But not to be discontent, not to place yourself in God's authority. If you've not followed the appropriate steps the Bible has outlined for these things and you grumble to others, causing dissension or gossiping, I want you to know in that moment of you doing that, 
You're walking in the flesh and you're being a tool of Satan. That's what you're serving at that time. You're going to be serving somebody, serving God or serving the works of the flesh, serving Satan. And I want you to know that when that is happening and you are a Christian, Satan is rejoicing because he would have no greater joy than to have somebody who is a Christian causing disunity within the church or grumbling or complaining. Because they're probably going about it in the banner of, I'm right and I'm doing this for the right reasons, but they're not doing it in the right manner. And it doesn't matter what your motives are. The means of how you do it can destroy everything. And Satan is very excited, especially in the church, when there's dissension or grumbling. Listen, if you've heard something about yourself or about somebody else and that person has not heard it yet... You are in Satan's realm and you're being used as a tool to spread lies. We talk about gossip, right? Gossip is not just things that are untrue. Does everyone know this? Because for a long time, I thought I could say, it's not gossip, it's, it's actually true about this person, so I could talk about it, right? You've heard this? How many have heard that before? If it's true, you can say it, right? Let me clear this up. Gossip is anything with the intent to destroy someone else's character. Anything with the intent to destroy somebody else's character, to cause their character harm. Now, the Bible says we are not supposed to gossip. We're supposed to go to an individual and talk about issues. It does say that there are times when I'm going to talk about an individual and it is going to hurt their character and I'm called to do it. And the only time it talks about we can do this is when there's a doctrinal issue or there's false teaching. But I'm not doing it to destroy that person. I'm doing it to save those I'm talking to. Very different. Do you see the difference here? I'm not doing it to destroy that individual. Let's say that Bob, okay? Bob is just a random name I picked. Hopefully none of your name's Bob. I'm not talking about you. Bob is wrong theology-wise. I've already confronted Bob. I've already taken Terry and I, both we've now confronted Bob. We've talked about Bob. Bob still isn't changing his theology, his wrong doctrine, and he's, he's teaching a false gospel. If I talk to you or talk with others to be weary about Bob, it's going to be hurting his reputation. But I'm not doing it to hurt him. I'm doing it to save you from wrong teaching. And the Bible says we're clearly called to do that. But make sure we go talk to Bob first. And confront these issues. And then we have the openness to do these things. But gossip, anything with the intent to harm one another. Don't be used by Satan in these things. I want to discuss one more thing on grumbling, disputing, and gossip. A lot of times, and I fell victim of this myself, we say and we justify this specifically as Christians... I just needed to vent to somebody. Be it your spouse or somebody else. I'm just going to explode unless I vent. So I just needed to vent to somebody and you just go, blah, and you vent everything, right? And we think that it's okay because we think it's a need. Listen, venting is not a need. God says he covers all your needs, and venting is not one of them. Here's what the Bible says about venting in Proverbs 29, 11. You don't need to turn there if you could just listen. Proverbs 29, 11, A fool gives full vent to his spirit. That's what it says about venting. 
but a wise man quietly holds it back. And the Bible actually says if you need to vent, if you have a desire to do so, it gives you some outlines of how to do it. And here's how. 1 Peter chapter 5, if you're taking notes, you can write opportunity to vent. 1 Peter 5, verses 5 through 9. I'll read it here. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then listen to how this verse started out with the call to unity. It's talking about subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, humility, not being proud, coming with humility and grace. And then it says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. And here's your opportunity to vent. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You vent to God, first and foremost, with your wrong motives or right motives. You vent to him and you take time to see the correct way to handle all of these feelings. Just because you have a feeling doesn't mean it's right to share them. Mama always said, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. It's true. Mama was right. We're not supposed to say anything at all unless we're called to biblically. Somebody said something unbiblical. Because we love them, we're supposed to go in love and bring about restoration. That's what the body of Christ is for. But unfortunately, I know many times when we're unhappy about something, we can easily murmur, we can easily cause dissension, and then disputing. And I want to take another quote that's actually from a book that our new members read. And it says this. This is for the church member. This is for you. Rumors and backbiting die at the ears of a healthy church member who refuses to give consideration to unedifying talk and dissension. Rumors and backbiting die at the ears of a healthy church member. What does that mean? When you're talking to somebody... And they begin going what you think is the intent to harm somebody else's character. Listen, you're talking to the pastors and you think we're going this way. You're talking to your friends. You're talking to a deacon. Anybody. All right. We're all can very easily fall into murmuring and causing dissension. Just say time out. Time out. It seems to me that we're going in a way that's not going to be edifying to the body. Because when we talk about somebody else who's a Christian, do you know we're actually talking about ourselves? The Bible says we are the body of Christ. We're not supposed to be separated. And if you're shooting somebody else and you've never gone and talked to them, you're, you're damaging the body of Christ that you serve to represent. And that's why he goes on to say, do all things without grumbling or disputing. I want you to read, Terry said it last week. He said, to get a good context of a passage, you, you need to read the beginning, before, and after. And so we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2 because this is a perfect example of why we need to understand the context both before and after a passage. Philippians chapter 2 verses 4 through 8. Let each of us look not only to his own interest but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves which yours is Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, why is that passage important in our discussion about grumbling and disputing? 
Here's a point to write down. Because Jesus, as our example, did not grumble or dispute. Jesus, as our example, did not grumble or dispute. I'm going to be going through some verses here to reiterate this. Isaiah 53, 7, talking about Christ in the Old Testament. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he, being Jesus, opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that was before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. On the night of the Last Supper, Luke 22, he said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. That's not open dispute. That's having a conversation with your father. An angel And then he said, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done in submission to God. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Soon after that, Jesus being arrested, Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. Then he came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword, And struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. And then verse 53. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Jesus did not crumble in his arresting. He didn't grumble in before then. He knew what was going to happen. He didn't grumble when he was whipped. He didn't grumble when he was kicked, spat on, took the crown of thorns as he carried the cross. He didn't grumble for any of these things. The only thing he said is, God, what is your will? And I will be obedient to it. So this put into a perspective gives us absolutely no reason to grumble or complain about any circumstance. Why is that? Because we have given ourselves over to Jesus Christ as a servant saying, whatever your will is in my life, I will do. And a lot of times we stand up and we declare we've been wronged or somebody else has been wronged and we start chattering about it. Jesus, as our example, went through far worse than we will ever go through and did not grumble or complain. And they were even the right things he should have grumbled and complained about, right? Yet he didn't do any of this. And as a personal note, I struggle with grumbling and complaining. I can still remember the last time we went to McDonald's and I was so excited to get a caramel sundae. You just have that desire to go by, swing in there, get an ice cream. And we went through the drive-thru, paid for it, went up to the window, got our food and left. And all I wanted was a caramel sundae. Everybody else ordered food. That's all I wanted. I opened it up and what was it? A chocolate sundae. Right? What immediately, I paid for that. This is all I wanted. I've been out doing this work all day, and the only thing I wanted to reward myself was a 99-cent caramel sundae, and I can go in there, and I can demand a refund, and I'm going to keep the chocolate sundae, right? Because I know if I give it to them, they're just going to throw it away. So I'm going to keep that, and I'm going to get my caramel sundae. Am I being a follower of Jesus Christ by making a big deal and grumbling about something that's 99 cents? What if it's $99? What if it's $999? We need to make sure we stop and think, what am I grumbling about? And what is the root issue of why I'm grumbling and complaining? 
I'm telling you, if you begin to apply this in your life, you're going to see all different types of areas where you grumble and complain all the time. Because that's been my, my week, the last week of, I can't talk about this. I can't do this. God, please take this away. So, three reasons. You can write these down. Three reasons from the text to stop complaining. Three reasons to stop complaining. Number one, for believers' own sake. For your own sake as a believer, encourage you. Paul encourages the church for the believer's own sake to stop. Verse 15, it says, So that you, church, will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach. So, a lack of grumbling and dissension in the church proves that we are children of God and above reproach, which means if we do grumble and we do cause decisions, it proves that we are what? Not children of God. Not above reproach. It says this proves that. So for your own sakes, don't do this. Number two, point number two, for the sake of the unsaved. You have neighbors. You have coworkers, people you live with, people who could be sitting here who are unsaved this morning. For the sake of the unsaved, verses 15b through 16. In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. It says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, because you live in the midst of people who don't have God. They don't have light. They live in darkness. And we are called to be the light. So if we're grumbling and complaining, we're showing we are lacking what is needed in our life. And God is supposed to be meeting all of our needs. So when we show we're grumbling, complaining about things all the time, we're showing we're not content in our circumstances. But God is supposed to be my all in all. But I'm complaining about a 99-cent caramel sundae or the way my grass was cut or whatever it could be that we're grumbling and complaining about. There's a right attitude and a spirit in this. So one, for believers' own sake. Two, for the sake of the unsaved. And last but not least, my personal favorite. I love it how Paul puts it in here. Number three, for the sake of your pastors. It's right there in the text. For the sake of your pastors, do all things without grumbling and complaining. Paul goes on to say, so that in the day of Christ, I, Paul, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. Scripture says that the calling of being a pastor in a church is the greatest, most terrifying calling a person is ever going to have in life. At the end of a person's life, no other job on earth is going to be held accountable to God like that of a pastor. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says this, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you, the church body. This should be terrifying for those who are in ministry. And I want to read a statement by John Brown, who in a letter to one of his pupils, this man was a newly ordained minister of our small congregation. John Brown was his teacher. And he wrote the following to this newly ordained pastor over a small church. He said, I know the vanity of your heart 
and that you will feel mortified that your congregation is very, very small in comparison with those of your brethren around you. But assure yourself on the word of an old man that when you come to give an account of them to the Lord Jesus Christ, at his judgment seat, you will think you have had enough. That is why Pastor Terry and I are working extremely hard on our membership roles here at the church. Because we are and will be held accountable for those who are on our roles. That's why Mondays is completely available for anyone who wants to meet with us. That's why we will stay after service for as long as it takes to pray with you. To talk with you about anything. Because what you are receiving or aren't receiving. The prayers we are praying for you or are not praying for you. The teaching you are receiving or are not receiving. We are going to be held accountable for. So it is very dear to our hearts that we want to provide that because we are going to be held accountable. And so we encourage you, if you're not a member of this church or any church and you're a Christian, to be obedient to the Word of God, commit yourself to a church, become a member, and make a covenant with those men and women in that church and those pastors because you're a family. And if it's not this church, make sure it's a Bible-believing church because we're going to be held accountable for these things. So it is Terry and I's prayer that all of you be our reason to glory, that we did not run in vain or toil in vain our whole lives. You can be our glory in this because of what God is doing in you through us, not that we have anything to offer you because we are dead and broken and there is no life in us except the life that God has put in us. And so I want to give you, as we close, four quick guidelines Four quick guidelines for our natural tendency towards discontentment. Number one, pray for God's mercy. We are easily, easily manipulated or easily get to the point of wanting to grumble or cause dissension. But pray for God's mercy in that moment. Number two, examine your desires. Examine your desires. Why is it that I want to grumble in this moment? Why is it that I want to complain? Confess and repent of those that are sinful. This should be happening all the time. It happens all the time in my life. I need to confess and repent and say, God, then I need to pray for his mercy. Number three, fill your hearts with a passion for God's glory. What are some ways you can do this? Well, very easily and practically, instead of listening to normal radio stations, you can listen to Christian radio. Instead of driving to work, not listening to anything, you could put on a message. You could put on a sermon. Instead of sitting down watching a movie, there's other spiritual things you could be watching. There's tons of different ways. Instead of reading a fictional book, read a book that's going to be about glorifying God or how you can grow. There's things we can easily substitute. My wife and I, we love watching movies. At the end of the day, we just want to sit down and watch a movie. We've realized it's not even about watching movies. It's actually about sitting down and just taking a moment to relax. It could be a movie. It could be a cartoon. It could be, we could put a sermon on and watch that instead and just the sitting down aspect of that. So there are a lot of ways we can fill our hearts with a passion for God's glory. And number four, be careful with your words. Be careful with your words. When in doubt, don't. It's kind of a good principle in a lot of spiritual things. When in doubt, don't on these things. Go to God in prayer.
as we close, I just want to say, if there's anything that Pastor Terry or I can pray for you for, meet with you about, if you want to get involved in one-on-one discipleship, if you want to know about core classes, if there's anything that we can meet with you about after service, anything at all, I'm going to be available right up here, right after service. Pastor Terry will be available in the back. We want you to know that we love you, we pray for you, we care about you, and we want to just encourage you to continue glorifying God in your life. Let me pray for you. God, we do praise you for this morning. God, I know that I am so easily, um, easily can fall into grumbling and complaining. My natural attitude and tendency is to, to turn to self and how I can glorify myself and how situations need to be about me. God, I just pray that in all of our lives you may change that. God, help us to come to you in prayer often to seek your grace. Help us to fill our hearts and minds continually with things, who you are, ways we can glorify you. God, I know that this was a very just practical message that many of us struggle with. I would say all of us struggle with. And so, God, help us to glorify you in every single one of these actions. God, we pray as we close in worship that it may be something sweet-sounding to your ears. May we glorify you this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.